house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. People are getting suspicious, wondering how you and Rose got Larry to give you the place. The whole thing's obviously driving him crazy. Well, I got their number, bitch. That's what you are. I give you everything I got. And what do I get in return? We didn't ask for what you gave us. From the Pulitzer Prize winning novel. Tell me what you really think about Daddy. He's a bear. He's not a bear. He's not innocent like that. I know what Rose says, Jimmy, about your dad. Oh, he's respected, and people say what bitches we are. Threw a man off his own farm on a knife, he wouldn't keep a wolf on you. Think you can treat me like this? You think this is bad, Daddy? You'd be amazed at what you really deserve. Polygram Filmed Entertainment proudly... Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that has entered into a very sophisticated arrangement with Kevin Klein. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my litigious sibling, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Very litigious. Very litigious. I am famously litigious. I have I've uh, sued many people. I knew um, that about you. I somehow knew that about you. Yeah. I won't cross you. Um, we're doing another kind of long-awaited movie. I feel like after uh, the shipping news, perhaps you didn't think there were other any other uh, long-awaited, long-teased sort of this had Oscar buzz movies coming your way. But haha, we have fooled you once again. I've wanted to do this one for a while. I had never seen it. I wanted an excuse to see it. It was kind of, it sort of looms large in my memory as uh, an Oscar buzzy title that really flopped from when I was first sort of becoming aware of Oscar buzz as an entity. Mm-hmm. So this was a big I mean, one. we'd kind of turned it into a bit of we were going to... Uh, that not in the way that like I'd wanted to with the shipping news um, where it's like, we may never do that, but like, this is one we've been talking about doing from the very beginning. And uh, now that we've done it, I realized I didn't know what it was about, about, I knew it was loosely based off of King Lear. I obviously knew the actresses involved, but I didn't realize that this is, uh, and, like, you watch the trailer and you would never know. You just think that Jason Robards is going to be, like, a barking bastard, right? But They no, do make he's... some... There's some sort of hint where in the trailer you get the Pfeiffer line where she says... Where Jessica Lang's like, oh, he's always been a bear. And Pfeiffer just says, don't, don't call him that. He's not as innocent as that. And, like, so there are definitely things... The thing I remember from following sort of the promo cycle of this movie and again had never seen it uh, my assumption i guess was that it was the jennifer jason lee character who was going to be the troubled one who was going to bring accusations against the father and for whatever reason in my mind i think i got this movie mixed up with her dolores claiborne character Mm -hmm. and um 
And so that was in my mind. So I, the fact that it's exactly the opposite in this. And it's interesting because, and I've never read King Lear. My only familiarity with it is that very recent movie that was made with um, Emma Thompson and Anthony Hopkins and Florence Pugh from like a mm-hmm. few years ago. So I saw that, but I'm not like this like Shakespeare scholar or anything like that. But um, my familiarity with Lear, I knew that the Cordelia character was kind of the most prominent of the three sisters in that. So I sort of assumed that the Jennifer Jason Lee character was going to be kind of a linchpin in this movie. And she's by far the least important character of the three sisters. She's kind of really peripheral. She's gone for like the middle chunk of the movie. Mm. And then in the final like third of it, when it becomes vaguely a courtroom drama for a little bit very little bit um she has this kind of complete about face yes that yes. it i think is one of the movie's problems yes because i don't understand why and i don't understand her in turn and you wonder whether there was stuff cut out of the novel it was this is based on a pulitzer prize winning novel by jane mm-hmm. smiley which i remember being like like, I remember hearing about that book when I was younger. It was probably because of when I was working at the public library. But it's, yeah, I think that is definitely a weakness. And I don't know whether it's a weakness of adaptation or whether that also, you know, existed in the book. I think my main takeaway from A Thousand Acres, and we'll definitely get into it, is I respect the angle that it takes on this, if it is going to be like, if we're going to do a take on King Lear, our take is going to be, wow, the way we villainize Reagan and Goneril from the the Lear story as being the sort of like the manipulative daughters. And, you know, Pfeiffer even has that line and that's in the trailer. And it's interesting that it's in a trailer from 1997 where she says that we're the bitches, you know what I mean? The whole town mm-hmm. thinks of us as, as, as bitches who, you know, uh, betrayed our father and whatever. And, um, it's almost like an alternate, alternate, you know, reading of the text where it's just like, what if these two sisters, had their reasons? What if there was more going on than you knew? What if we didn't automatically decide to lionize the patriarch and this whole kind of thing? And obviously Lear is more complicated than that. But um, it's an interesting angle that I wish had been done better and I wish had been received at a time when it was more uh, ready to receive it. Because the other thing, I don't think this movie deserved to you know, be hailed as anything great. But if you read the reviews at the time, and we'll definitely get into that. I don't understand it. I, I don't understand the outright lashing. There was vitriol for this movie. Like, there was some real, real anger about how, you know, the soapiness of the tropes. And I get that, like, the movie doesn't handle these sort of, you know, left turns into revelations of sexual abuse and physical abuse and, and things like that. Um, particularly gracefully, but there was a lot of outrage, I think, in a lot of these reviews that that was the plot at all, mm-hmm. right? That it was, a, these were, you know, it was soap opera tactics, and it was melodrama, and it was, and again, we've talked about this time and again, the way that movies would get kind of lambasted for being, you know, stuff for women, 
without like mm-hmm. tell me tell me you're you're sexist without telling me you're sexist well i'm gonna bash this movie for being soapy or but it's not just i mean like reading some of these reviews it's not just from male critics no they it's not even, like janet maslin right. trashing this movie right and not like to it, like say no. that all female critics have to like uphold movies that are made for women you know not to like right not to get too far into the weeds of the nuance of it, but like, yeah. I do think that while this is an imperfect movie, I do think like it was the vitriol for it is unfair, right? And we'll like we'll we'll definitely we'll set the table for that and all that. But I just sort of wanted to like you know up front, you know that's that's sort of how I feel about going into this movie. The other side of it though is for folks of our persuasion, uh, a movie like this is kind of irresistible right we're like uh to the point where even the teenage girls are played by michelle williams and elizabeth and elizabeth moss, moss. like <laughs> fucking wild absolutely and and like michelle williams just pre dawson's creek and elizabeth moss several years before i think the earliest i had ever seen her in anything was girl interrupted which was two mm-hmm. years after this movie so like this is definitely my like earliest... young enough to not be fully recognizable oh i mean I would recognize her anywhere, but, like, I get it. Like, it took me, like, but these daughters are really, and again, a weakness of the movie, I think. I think the movie is stronger if it sort of establishes their relationship with their mother early on and their relationship with Jessica Lang's character, their aunt, early on. But anyway, mm-hmm. these girls are in are in scenes and you don't really ever really think to look at their faces because they're sort of, you know, very, very, very incidental to what's going on. And it's like several scenes before all of a sudden you take a look at them and you're just like, oh shit, it's Michelle Williams and, and Elizabeth Moss. <laughs> um, but yeah, the actressiness of this movie is obviously its main appeal for me. The idea of seeing Michelle Pfeiffer, Jessica Lange, Jennifer Jason Lee playing sisters. This is the second project this summer where I have been let down by a movie where Jennifer Jason Lee is part of the trio of fantabulous acting sisters. Cause <laughs> I've bitched already about Lisey's story being like her and Je- Julianne Moore and Joan Allen playing sisters. And it's so bad. And I'm so fucking furious um, that it's like this waste of, you know, three great actresses playing sisters. That's all I ever want. I'm like faggy Chekhov where it's just like, give me, you know, <laughs> give me three actresses playing sisters. And that's all I want. But um, who among us? And so I think, you know, it's a similar thing here. And of course, like the Oscar pedigree on these women, which we'll definitely get into, two-time winner Jessica Lange, multiple nominee nominee, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jennifer Jason Leigh, who by this point in her career had not been Oscar nominated, and that was kind of a thing of itself was mm-hmm. after this like is after um mrs parker and the vicious circle which i want to do eventually and after georgia because people sort of forget because mayor winningham got that nomination for georgia but that was one of those things where like jennifer jason lee had buzzed throughout that season and they ended up and the narrative a little bit not to slight mayor winningham at all but the narrative a little bit was like that the oscars went for the safer character the sort of like the 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 uh the kinder sort of softer character which that is a narrative i don't always super trust because the flip side of that is sometimes the oscars go for the louder performance and we don't really like exactly and like jennifer jason lee definitely was giving the louder performance in that movie mm-hmm. um so it's, well and it, just because it's the same movie doesn't mean you're talking about the same acting races so it's like you're also you that. have completely different levels of competition and 1995 and- best actress was very 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 competitive 
Uh, I think we've talked about that before. But yeah. But yeah, so she's coming off of a few years of just like Jennifer Jason Lee, you know, giving the best performance that wasn't nominated for Oscar this year for like a few years. And so that was going into it. And then add to that two-time Oscar winner Jason Robards in this very sort of old lion role, which can be catnip for Oscar voters at times. They originally wanted to cast Paul Newman in this role, which would have been a very similar vibe in terms of, you know, this like acting legend coming in to play this sort of old, uh, you know, character who sort of revealed as uh, monstrous. And I say revealed in this film, it is not incredibly subtle what Jason Robards does <laughs> with this character. He sort of like hits the ground running as soon as the, the plot requires like- him to you know take the mask off and all of a sudden then he's this just like raging beast um it's a real interesting cast colin firth is in this film uh playing very much not british and colin firth his version of an american dialect is to drop his voice by an octave colin firth unfortunately at this point at least in his career goes into the column with my beloved james mcavoy which is He's sort of Samson with the di- with the with his with the dialogue or the uh the accent, his own native accent being his his, you know, beautiful hair that gives him strength. You know what I mean? Where it's just like you get rid of that accent and it's just like you rob him of so much of his natural charisma. And I feel that way about James McAvoy too. He is very sexy in this movie though. He is, but just like I feel like that character is around a lot. And you know what he needs to be there for for the plot, but I'm very often just being like, "What, what are you doing? What are you doing here?" Yeah, like, as it happening? needs to wrap up on that character, the movie's like, uh, out of ideas. Yeah, forget about it. You know, um, it doesn't really know how to finally uh, how we're supposed to finally feel about that character. This is also our second Jocelyn Morehouse movie. I was gonna say it's not just an actress thing. This is like kind of a little bit of a patron saint uh, director for our podcast. Yeah, uh, director of How to Make an American Quilt, which was another film, which was like actress bonanza. Also, actresses playing siblings because it was Ellen Burstyn and Anne Bancroft playing Correct. siblings in that film. Uh, Oscar winners playing siblings. I always tend to talk about Michelle Pfeiffer as an Oscar winner, and I always have to remind myself that no, she's never actually won because she does does have that status for me in my mm-hmm. in my mind. Um, but obviously, Winona Ryder was in uh, How to Make an American Quilt. Uh, uh, Claire Danes, um, Kate Nelligan. It was just like tons and tons and tons of. Uh, of great actresses in that movie as well. I think I liked that movie. I think that movie works better than a thousand acres does, but I think a thousand acres swings for bigger and I want to give it that credit for doing it. But then the miss is sort of, you feel it more. I don't know. Well, how to make an American quilt, even though it's all of these multiple different stories, it has such a clear like framework for it. Whereas like this movie does have a lot of story, how you can imagine it being yeah. a great book. And uh, again, to say the basic thing, it would make an excellent uh, limited series. Um, I do feel like after watching this movie that I feel like I would really, really enjoy the book. The best parts of the movie are also some of the most frustrating parts, which is that like, why am I loving this narration? This like long, long, long reading of like Jessica. Well, but like, I think the prose listening to that i'm like i would like to experience this in the form of a book you know what i mean i kind of wish i was reading read by jessica lang yeah yeah 
Um, but there's so much story that it feels like, in some of the reviews, like I think it was even Roger Eberts or something saying that the movie was so, so long. Or it felt so felt long. Because like, it's no, not. No, it feels like it's flying through stuff that you really should take time to kind of sit with. Yeah. In some ways. Um, even to the point where it's like uh, the proposal for the daughters to take over the farm. I had to go back and watch that scene because I wasn't very quickly. quite yeah. sure what happened. Well, like what that scene, the scene down. where he first offers the idea of the corporation, right? That's and 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 Jennifer Jason Lee's character is like, I don't know, and then he like sends her away, and that scene only really works if you you almost have to be like have somebody there whispering in your ear like it's King Lear, like it only really works if you're like very <laughs> familiar with the fact that of what King Lear is and what and that the fact that this is a sort of a you know. A commentary or, or something loosely based on King Lear, because like otherwise, it just seems very abrupt and sort of nonsensical that this like slight moment of like, well, I'll have to think about it, and he's like, go away forever, and it's you know this sort of like sharp left turn into mm-hmm. Shakespearean dramatics, but again, it like it only makes sense if you're just like, right, this is what happens in King Lear where Cordelia like, you know, isn't as effusive as the other two sisters and he resents her for it and whatever. And it doesn't play, you're right. It needs a lot more room to breathe in the movie for it to have any kind of an impact at all, instead of just sort of confusion on the part of the viewer. Mm -hmm. So, and it's just like we we hear a lot about how the two sisters are ostracized for uh, what, they, what the town thinks of them. What the town thinks of them. You don't really see it that much. No. You get like one scene with John Carroll yes. Lynch being like, I don't think you did right by your dad. Right. And you don't get a sense of the town in this movie. This does not feel like it's a movie that creates that successful sense of a place, which is, I do think it successfully establishes it as a town, not just run by men, but like a town where these men are seen as these like unimpeachable Titans who everyone loves. And that is uh, what the culture is of this town. I think it does that well, but I don't think it establishes the town as it relates to the daughters. Right. Like, I don't see, I don't see where Jessica Lang fits into this town. I don't see where Michelle Pfeiffer's character fits into this town. Um, is Jennifer Jason Lee's character seen as kind of a, uh, black sheep because she, she leaves for Des Moines and like goes Mm -hmm. and like sort of like spurns the town. And then she comes back and she defends the father. Is she like, you know, what is, you you get a little bit of the fact of this idea that like Colin Firth was kind of forced away, um, by his father. But it's all very vague, and it's all very much like, oh, I bet I would get more out of this if it was reading the no- if I was reading the novel. And you don't get a sense or a degree to which it, it's it's confusing how much uh, the revelation of the sexual abuse that the daughters uh, experience at the hands of their father, yeah, how how discussed that is you know how if it's just between these two sisters discussing it like how out in the open were like is that part of why people were shunned because why that people were shunning them because you know people 
didn't want to believe that or right. like they thought that it was this horrible lie or is it all just this business thing that people are assuming we don't even know if caroline knows that right this has been uh, revealed right um We'd never know. We get uh, so little of her perspective. Almost everything we see of her is seen uh-huh. through the eyes of Ginny, the the Jessica Lange character, or almost like we see her in, you know, across a room or something like that. And and even if the answer is she doesn't know about that, if if that is tr- what is true in the text, then I feel like we should have that clearly. Have that as a perspective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, just because I, it, it, that to me actively contributed to Caroline being a frustrating character in the final 100%. 100%. And she's a character who, you know, she gets shunned by her father and then she ends up like essentially betraying her sisters. And again, mm-hmm. in Lear, Cordelia is the one who is, Cordelia is shunned and then is kind of, aggressed against for most of that movie so when cordelia finally makes a move against the sisters it's seen as more triumphant because she's been kind of done wrong by them and that's not the case here they, they make changes you know the changes that are made to the story in a thousand acres make that turn kind of a betrayal of her sisters who we find mm-hmm. we we learn in the movie like raised her from when their their mother had died at a, at a at an early age and so you don't feel that you you get that as sort of you know you you understand that that's what's happening because you're following the story but there's no reckoning for that as the story goes along there's no there you did you don't get a wrap-up scene with her with either one of the two sisters like there's so much of this movie you talk about like telling and not showing that scene where keith carradine shows up again in minneapolis after Ginny has left town and is like rose has been telling everybody in town about what your father's done nobody believes it she's you know seen as a monster um everything like that and it's just like cool would have been nice to see it like i don't understand why i'm hearing about this third hand from keith carradine in a diner you know what i mean in a denny's thank you Oh, was it specifically a Denny's? I couldn't tell whether it was just like knockoff Denny's or like. Uh, okay, the the waitress that answers the phone and says hi, this is Denny's. Oh, she does. It's oh, kind okay. of a weird dialect where I'm like, did she just say Danny's? <laughs> For legal did reasons, we have to right say Danny's. Denny's. <laughs> anyway, Keith Carradine asks what he should order, and I was like, a grand slam. Yeah, get obviously. the moons over my hammy, my friend. Like, come on. Okay, so. But also, the other thing about Caroline, and then maybe we should move on to the plot description, um, because we're, like, getting into it as we're prone to do. Um, The first portion of the movie hinges on her character so much in, like, it presents her almost as a mystery to the audience. Right. And, like, she, it turns out she gets married and doesn't tell anyone, and it's, like, so much of, like everyone's concern and like uh focus is around her that like there's no she could literally be anyone in the final third of the movie it feels like kind of like uh you know they showed us a gun in the beginning of the movie that never gets fired speaking of faggy checkoff yes um Um, yeah, no, you, you, the expectation is that we're going to get this payoff for this, you know, sort of 
arm's length relationship that she has to the family. And we don't. And I don't mean that we need a revelation. I really, I don't think the movie needs to be like, Caroline was being abused too, or anything like that. But just like, just have her have some kind of emotional reckoning with these women who raised her, who she then like took to court to take their farm away. Like, you know, those are some big things. Or just have the two Carolines connected in some something way. Yes. Like, it, it, you almost can't even feel the betrayal of it because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like, um, it feels like her as a character has just been kind of cast aside. Yes. Um, on the page. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Before we get any further into it, you're right. We tend to creep into plot in this. And this is a movie that I'm, I don't think a lot of our listeners will have seen. So, um, I want to sort of. You know, it's not super exp- available. Right. No, we had to right. buy a DVD to watch I it. I had yes, I had to I had to go on to Amazon uh, marketplace and and uh buy a DVD. I'm glad I own it now though. You know, it's a little and again, I will zealously guard my physical media now because I don't trust shit. Um but I, yeah, I want to sort of like talk about the mechanics of the movie maybe a little bit more than we normally would because I don't think this is a film that too many people have seen. Um but I have one minute on the clock for you, Chris, if you want to Ooh, uh, crack your knuckles and uh, and prepare for a 60-second plot description. I'll crack my knuckles, crack my back, crack <laughs> my knees. <laughs> crack your neck, crack your back, crack your... Uh, uh... Don't you don't stop. Okay. Stop right there. A Thousand Acres is the film we're talking about. Directed by our, uh, our good friend Jocelyn Morehouse. Written by Laura Jones, based on the novel of the same name by Jane Smiley, which did win the Pulitzer Prize. That novel, in turn, was loosely based on Shakespeare's King Lear. It stars Jessica Lange, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jason Robards, Jennifer Jason Lee, Colin Firth, Keith Carradine, Kevin Anderson, John Carroll Lynch, good pal of the, uh, of, uh, of our show, Pat Hingle, Michelle Williams, Elizabeth Moss. It premiered on September 19th, 1997, uh, just before uh, Titanic would steamship its way through that awards season. Chris, as I said, I have a minute on the clock for a 60-second plot description from you, if you're ready. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's All see. right, and... Go. All right. So we are on the Cook family farm. It is led by Larry Cook, played by Jason Robards. He has had this family, for, uh, this uh, farm for three generations. It is a thousand acres of the title. He has his three daughters. There is the like very sweet and childless Ginny, played by uh, Jessica Lang. There's uh, Rose, who has suffered from breast cancer but does have children, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. And then there's Caroline, who's kind of not a black sheep of the family, but she's the only one who's left. She went to do uh, law school in Des Moines, and she still lives there. She comes back. Uh, Larry Cook says, "Hey, what?" if we incorporate and you all have uh, equal control of the farm older two daughters say hey that's great youngest daughter says mm, I don't know about this um, uh, and then uh, that kind of creates a rift and uh, meanwhile while he has less control of the farm he starts having dementia and then has a huge fight with them uh, where like things seem to get heated really quickly and then uh, he casts Ten them out seconds. and then the girls are cast out turns out that he had been sexually assaulting them in their childhood um, and uh, the, then uh, he uh, they get to keep control of the farm. And but, that's uh, time. Here's the thing. <laughs> Where I ended the plot description feels like the end of the movie. And then it has this very long epilogue. Yeah. And that's when the movie really kind of lost me. Yeah. Because it fully becomes like Ginny's story. Ginny right. leaves her husband, leaves the farm, leaves her sister. 
And she goes to some other town, starts working in a Denny's, uh, hears secondhand uh, that her... Does her father die before she leaves? No. No. Her father dies in the the narration as she's driving away. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, they get... They're both blamed in the town for, like, ruining this great man and his legacy of the farm, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Ginny eventually comes back because Rose uh, has her cancer returns and Rose is going to die and then she's going to raise her two daughters. Never hear from Caroline during this. Nope, um, not once. That whole portion of the movie feels, I think, tonally misguided because yeah. you get this kind of uh, deathbed speech from Rose, which is like way more chill and low key than. Uh, you uh would expect it to be um, yeah but she rose is such an interesting character to me I, you almost wish that rose i want was... so much more of rose in this i movie. know because her perspective is partly why i think people would probably be kinder to this movie today than they were yes. then 100%. which isn't to say we didn't have like women's stories or stories of horrible things that happened to women back then but like now it feels like we're having a real reckoning with that and we have I think it resonates better today. I think the idea yeah. of this woman who like there are multiple points in this movie where she talks about holding on to her anger mm-hmm. as her as as something that she's owed, which is a really interesting thing. She's, you know, she talks about several times about, um, you know, that not forgiving her father is sort of a thing that she can do is she can't, she can't do much about what's happened to her. She's got, you know, she's been sexually abused as a child. She's had cancer and she's, you know, maybe going to lose it all, but she at least didn't forgive the unforgivable. And that's a really interesting perspective. She has this one line in that last scene with her and Lang when she's in the hospital. And, uh, she says, we're not going to be sad. We're going to be angry till we die. That's and the I line I was going to bring up. And when she said that, I was like, that is what the tone of the movie should be. Or at yes. least the tone of this final portion of the movie, which like feels like it's the opposite of what Rose is saying. And it be- that's yes. when it becomes more of the kind of like mopey melodrama. Yeah. That, yeah. if not like as vitriolic as a lot of the critics were about it is like closer to that whereas the rest of the movie movie, i don't think is this kind of maudlin thing if the movie is more equally distributed between Ginny and rose or even more about rose than it is about Ginny, it's a stronger movie if it Mm -hmm. really lets pfeiffer dig in the problem i think with pfeiffer's performance in this movie is um she has to sort of burn brightly in a few moments, but doesn't really get a lot of space to build around those moments. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? She yeah, has the she big, has to monologue have, a lot. She has the big, angry outburst in the rain outside. Um, the big sort of like linchpin argument of the film, where they're all out uh, out in the open, and then she has the scene that follows it, where she talks to Ginny about. The sexual abuse, and she tries to get Ginny to admit that that also happened to her, and then she gets this deathbed scene, and like in between, like she's you know she they gets have a scene where they get drunk too before Ginny yeah. goes away. I think she's really fantastic. I think in, I think some of the bigger moments in the movie kind of betray her in a way that I wish if the film had been stronger. I don't think I think they those moments come off better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. 
She's such a good actress, though. Like, I feel like, I mean, I'm we're always sort of simping for Michelle Pfeiffer on this podcast, but, like, it's for good reason. Yeah. Oh, also, let's do this now. This is our sixth Michelle Pfeiffer film that we've done on this Head Oscar Buzz. We've been hitting the six-timers a few uh, a few weeks in a row here. We had Judy And we're going to have another one coming up soon, too. I think we're just hitting the point of the existence we've been doing of this a lot podcast, of podcast. Yeah. where it's like, they're just going to keep coming. <laughs> I have fun with it. I we uh, you know you know I enjoy it. So yeah, this is our sixth Michelle Pfeiffer film after Two Jillian on her thirty seventh birthday, Frankie and Johnny, Hairspray, our beloved mother, our hundredth episode, White Oleander, which we did recently with uh, Nathaniel, and then now A Thousand Acres. So as we do. Chris, amazing that half of our Michelle Pfeiffer's had guests. Because we also had Gavin Mevius for uh, to Jillian, Jillian. right? And we We had Matt, right? No, it was Cameron. No, we had Cameron. Cameron. It was Cameron Sheets for uh, for Hairspray. That's right. God, what a great episode that was. The people Um, love Pfeiffer. Listen, we give the people what they want, and they want Pfeiffer by the barrelful. So as we do when. when we hit a six-timer, is we, I, come up with a little quiz that I give you, and hopefully our listeners can play along. So again, the answers to the following questions will be any, uh, one or maybe multiple of To Jillian on her 37th birthday, Frankie and Johnny, Hairspray, Mother, White Oleander, A Thousand Acres. Chris, are you ready? I am. Sorry, I was having a sip of my water. Listen, you gotta you gotta hydrate if you're Listen, gonna take this quiz. Listen, I am nothing on this podcast if not one of those random Twitter accounts telling you to drink water. <laughs> drink water, you'll feel better. Okay, um, which of these six films is the longest? Uh, Mother. Mother at 121 minutes. Very good. Which is the shortest? Frankie and Johnny. No. To Jillian. To Jillian on her 37th birthday, 93 minutes. I realize that I sort of have created something of a Proust questionnaire specific <laughs> to our podcast, which is this. Because I always tend to start out with which is the longest and which is the shortest. What is your favorite color? What is your favorite curse word? Okay. Um, which of the six was the only one that was an original screenplay? Um, 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 mother. Mother, Yes. Famously mother. Although truly adapted from the Bible. Come on now. All right. I mean, yes. Uh, which was the highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes? The highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it Hairspray? Hairspray, right. 91% on Rotten Tomatoes and well-deserved. Which was the lowest on Rotten Tomatoes? A Thousand Acres. You would think at 24%, A Thousand Acres would be it, but there is something lower, and it surprised me. Really? Okay. Um, I don't think it was Frankie and Johnny, to though. To the point I where I'm going to go double-check this, because it seems like a mistake to me. But let's see. Is it, is it to Jillian? It is to Jillian. I doesn't that have, like, it. a... No, that's right, because doesn't it have a wildly low, like, 15% or something? 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, like... That's not that bad of a movie. It's not it's even a bad movie. Like it's an okay movie. There, but would be like sixty Metacritic. It's, it's like ad, everybody it's, says yeah. that it's fine. It's kind of fine. It's All a right. good movie. I Which film it. has a score by Thomas Newman? 
Um, White Oleander. White Oleander, of course. Uh, as uh, the American Beauty friend, leftovers. I was going to say, as our friend Bobby Finger says, "Knock off American Beauty." Yeah. Um, which film has cinematography by Dante Spinati? Dante Spinati. That is Frankie and Johnny. Yes. Which film has cinematography by Tak Fujimoto? A Thousand Acres. A Thousand Acres. Um, it is handsome. This film. I mean, for and, a movie where so much is shot outside, like at night, it looks good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Which two films were distributed by Paramount? Um, uh, Mother. Famously. And not this. Not to Jillian. Not Hairspray. Frankie and Johnny? Frankie and Johnny. Yes. Very good. Which two were released on the same calendar date 11 years apart? Oh. Uh. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Is it... Is it A Thousand Acres and Mother? They were both September movies. It is not. No, because A Thousand Acres was July. Was it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I thought A Thousand Acres was September. Oh, it was. Sorry. But anyway, no. You're, they were only ten years apart. Is it? Um, is it like Frankie and Johnny and White Oleander? It is Frankie and Johnny and White Oleander, both released on October 11th. Frankie and Johnny, 1991, White Oleander, 2002. All right. Which two films feature stars of The Greatest Showman? (laughs) A Thousand Acres. And um, wait, are you forgetting Ed Harris's cameo in uh, The Greatest Showman? Wait, is, does he have a cameo on The Greatest Showman? No, I'm fucking with you. You asshole. You um, asshole, you made me do that. You made me jump at it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, I mean, probably Hairspray. Hate that. Yes, Hairspray. Why, though? I'm going to make you I'm gonna make you sure you work. Um, uh, I'm not just not... going to allow you to get away with they're both musicals, so probably, <laughs> even though that's a good guess. Um, well, it's not Nikki Blonsky from the movie Hairspray. It's, it's not... not... Um, it's not Elijah Kelly. It's oh, it's Zac Efron. It's oh. Zac Efron. Zac Efron from Hairspray and Michelle Williams from A Thousand Acres together at last in uh, The Greatest Showman. Okay, which two films feature stars of The Kitchen? Oh, why are you doing this to me? Never mention The Kitchen. It is so brutal to me to think about. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. lots of people in The Kitchen though. Obviously, A Thousand Acres because Elizabeth Moss and. Um, I bet I'm willing to bet that there's more than two. I don't but think um, so. mother because of uh, Dom of Donald Gleason. Yes, my favorite scuzzy sex couple, uh, Dom Gleason and uh, getting and horny Elizabeth because Moss. they chop up some body parts. I know we don't pronounce the M in Donald Gleason, but when I say Dom Gleason, I'm just going to stick with it because I think it's sexy. All right. Mm. Um, Four reasons. Okay, which two films feature stars of Wonder Woman 1984? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, who's even in Wonder Woman 1984? Well, uh, b- 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 Kristen Wiig is in Mother. Yes. And, uh, uh, there's no, there's no Pine. There's no... I, I blocked out so much of that horrid movie from my brain. Um, 
Who else is in, in it? Interestingly, it's not Chris Pine, even though Chris Pine famously uh, co-starred. Well, it's not Gal Gadot. It's not. Oh my god! Why are you making me think this this hard about that movie? Um, this other person isn't in Wonder Woman 1984 very much, but she has sort of a. Um, oh, I gave away that's a woman. Sorry. That's um, she sort of looms large in the greater Diana Prince narrative. Is it like, uh, oh, it's Robin Wright, <laughs> who's in White Oleander. Indeed. Robin Wright from White Oleander, Kristen Wiig from Mother, uh, together in Wonder Woman 1984. Okay. Homestretch. Which two films did Pfeiffer co-star with someone who was Oscar-nominated that same year? That same <clears throat> year. Um, the Is it Mother for Javier Bardem? No, I don't believe he was nominated that year. Mm. 2017? I don't think so. He's got a lot of nominations. Um, I'm going to double-check it just to make sure, but I don't think so. Uh, Frankie and Johnny for Pacino. No, Pacino. Well, well, not Pacino. Isn't that Dick Tracy year? Dick Tracy was the year before. Mm. So it also wasn't the scent of a woman year. No, that was the year after. Damn it. Um, yeah, Bardem hasn't been nominated since Beautiful in 2010. Can't be Hairspray. It... It's uh, White Oleander for Renee. Yep. Renee Zellweger was nominated for Chicago that year. And, um, well, no. Um, why did I thank Allison Janney for Hairspray? But that is not it. No, she should have been nominated for Juno that year, but she wasn't. Um, now why am I forgetting the Pfeiffer movies? Note that I said that Al Pacino was wrong. Oh, Kate Nelligan. That Kate is Nelligan. the Prince of Tides year. Frankie and Johnny's Kate Nelligan was nominated for the Prince of Tides that year. Yes, exactly. All right. Of which film did Leonard Malton write, I found the movie to be an ordeal. All I want is to move on. <laughs> well, I don't think he was still writing at the time of Mother, but that would absolutely be something someone has written about mother i found it to be an ordeal all i wanted was to move on was it um white oleander no Ugh. um i mean was it to jillian no okay was it frankie and johnny no oh my god was it mother it was mother. Wow. I don't Who know where he, he was write writing. that for. Who was he, he still? He? I think he just writes little notes to the ether and just sort of they find him and put him on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, all right. Final one. Of which movie did Owen Gleiberman write? Plays like five masochistic Lifetime Channel movies that have been mashed together until they all have the flavor of strained peas. That is a thousand acres. Shut that the fuck up, Owen Gleiberman. Also that. Yes, correct. Well done with the Michelle Pfeiffer six-timer quiz. Chris, yeah, I wanted to end it on that Owen Gleiberman quote because, because he I want to transition back into A Thousand Acres. And again, I do feel like we touched on this a little bit ago. 
I don't think this is a successful movie. I think this movie fails at crucial things that it needs to do. I think it fails its performances, which is too bad because there are some really good ones in it. Yes. But again, this tone of, you know, bringing up Lifetime. At, Lifetime is such a fucking like red flag That's when anybody hacky... ever uses it. But I mean, it also like, is I'm sure like, pretty much everybody has said it at some point, but it's such a hacky thing. Of course. And also, yes. like, so reductive for, like, what this... And, like, again, we are probably much more, you know, this is conversations we're already having. You know, the power mm-hmm. of men and people not believing uh, women and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, people should just stay silent for, like... Uh, so that everyone can hold up their ideals, what the fuck ever. Um, we are probably way uh, more interested in these stories right now and not reducing them. But, like, that's just so gross to be like, oh, it's just a Lifetime movie when it's, like, you know, an actual serious subject. I think it's indicative of the time in which this film was made that the crux of the story isn't getting either a legal entity or the townspeople isn't getting someone to believe that believe their story it's taken as such a given that people don't believe them and won't believe them that there's no point even in trying to convince the townspeople or the courts or they're too Jennifer invested in holding up this idea that he was a great man and what it and means they just know it's not something they can fight that for themselves right so the so the importance then is them is sort of Ginny and Rose coming to terms with this with each other and with themselves and I think if this movie is made today if this story is told this way again today I think definitely it's much more of a premium is put on when will we get someone to believe them mm-hmm. and how and 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 what does it say that people don't believe them uh but it was sort of taken as a given that they wouldn't be believed back then um i want to talk about jessica lang for a second in this film she's definitely of the three sisters she's the one who is who the story is told through she's the one who gets the voiceover narration at the beginning and the end um She's wearing a very Republican wig throughout this film. <laughs> um, and it's interesting to sort of look at her through the lens of the last decade or so of Jessica Lange's career, the sort of American horror story decade, the uh, feud Betty versus Joan, Ryan Murphy kind of era of Jessica Lange, which again... We can, you know, criticize Ryan Murphy all we want, and, you know, I will on occasion, but Jessica Lang worked through this entire goddamn decade because he was giving her, like, scenery to chew. You know what I mean? Jessica Lang was, like, eight this decade, and, and rightfully so. But it's interesting to watch, then, something from a previous decade, and even, like, she had won her second Oscar a few years before this in Blue Sky, which is... It's not a Ryan Murphy character, but it's not not a Ryan Murphy character. Like she's 1, very sort of percent. That is one of the worst Oscar wins. That performance is so much. Um, and it's so, bad. so much. But this is not that. This is very reserved. This is low key. It's um, closer unconfident. to the type of roles that like we we were more likely to ascribe to her before Ryan Murphy kind of took over yeah. because like Blue Sky is a little bit of an anomaly. Um, well, but I will I will uh 
add to that though, because this year, uh, nineteen ninety seven, Lang. And we'll get into her Golden Globe nomination, but she was also nominated for a Yoga Award. Backwards Goya, of course, how very clever, which is essentially, it's the Spanish Razzies. And Jessica Lange was nominated for for Worst Foreign Actress for A Thousand Acres, but also Cousin Bet, that uh, costume drama that didn't really exist, and Hush, which is, I would argue... Also um, a Ryan Murphy character. Also a Ryan Murphy character. And also, and it's opposite Gwyneth Paltrow, who would be in a lot of Ryan Murphy things also, which I think is interesting. I do wonder how many times Ryan Murphy has seen Hush. Like, I bet into the dozens is going to be my <laughs> guess. Because it also starts Jonathan Sheck, which, like, and Jonathan Sheck would have been... No, it, it has the trailer where, like, I think Gwyneth Paltrow's in labor, and Jessica <laughs> Lange won't help her. Something like that. Like, that's the horror As of soon the as movie. we're done recording this, I'm going to go watch the trailer for Hush, because I want to re-experience that. But, yeah, and it was also, as I said, Jonathan Sheck, who would have been in ryan murphy things if he was you know if if his era had aligned with the ryan murphy era i feel like that's oh absolutely i feel like all of those people who were in greg Araki movies would have been in ryan murphy shows, you know what i mean like i feel like that venn diagram has a lot of space in the middle um but yeah so like jessica lang was taking some of these sort of like over the top roles but this is definitely not one of them this is very very reserved jessica lang it's not even like losing Isaiah Jessica Lang, where she's very like, you know, the dramatics of that are very keyed up. She's very quiet in this, even you know, with the exception of like one or she two. She has scenes her tics and isms that I think are are very prevalent in this performance. I didn't think she was particularly great. You would not have given her the Golden Globe nomination that she. Ends no, up I would have given it to Michelle. Over I her. would have as well. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with you. Talk about the tics though, because I, I, I. You know, know, it's just like uh, you watch the Debbie Reynolds impersonation of Meryl Streep, (laughs) and it's not far off from that. I think Lang is a little bit more grounded than Streep is, but like, I don't know. She has a certain way of syllables rolling off her tongue when she is suddenly getting emotional. Yeah. No, I know what you're like, talking uh, about. Very much uh, the the tools that are in her box. It's the Jessica Lang thing. The other thing that I was struck by, and again, it made me very frustrated that Jennifer Jason Lee isn't in more of this movie and doesn't get more to do. She and Jennifer, she and Jennifer Jason Lee are very credible as sisters. Uh-huh. Like they look very, very much like they could be sisters. And Pfeiffer Their isn't far off. Was... But like nobody looks like Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer is an alien from the planet. Yeah. Gorgeous. You know what I mean? Which is like, a plot a plot point of White Oleander. <laughs> yeah, basically, right. She's a, she's a, from a Viking planet where everybody was terrifying and gorgeous. Um yeah, but like Jess- Jessica Lang and Jennifer Jason Lee, I was like, "Oh, yes, you are actually sisters and you should probably play sisters in like several things." Yeah, I think she's definitely not as good as Pfeiffer in this, but I was sort of struck by it's interesting to watch Jessica Lang not sort of um Again, just sort of like scream and rip down a tapestry or something like that. <laughs> In a thing. Speaking of, though, of screaming and ripping down tapestries, I want to talk about Jason Robards in this film. Now, again, two-time Oscar winner. He went back-to-back, right? For all the President's Men and Julia? Uh, I believe so, yes. 76 and 77? They're at least, uh, I think, back-to-back performances, if not back-to-back year. 
I'm pretty sure it was back-to-back year, because I'm pretty sure All the President's Men is 76, and I know that Julia is 77. Don't ask me why. Um, But yeah, so obviously, hugely acclaimed actor. Interestingly enough, I think the the performance that maybe we wanted from Jason Robards, and again, it's they're both written, you know, not the same, but... Two years after this movie, he makes Magnolia, and that is the great sort of um, tarnished patriarch, you know, diminishing in his old age performance that people remember from him Mm -hmm. um, in a much more obviously beloved movie. But this one, he, he just really kind of rampages and rages, right? I'm thinking specifically of that outdoor scene. The storm in the rain. scene, yeah. But there's also the courtroom scene, and he's playing this sort of, you know, he's going through dementia, or at least like maybe, you know, certain stages of it. And those sort of episodes bring out this monster in him that previously only rose remembers like even Ginny, who like also experienced Mm -hmm. abuse um shut so much of that out and it's interesting i do find it interesting the way that this movie kind of breaks the the glass on robards's character through conversations that Ginny and rose have with each other where like there's one point sort of early on when they're like folding folding laundry at the dining room table and Pfeiffer just sort of starts and she says like, you know, I, I just hate him and I wish he would like just go to hell and, you know, be banished to hell never to return or whatever. And I was like, that's a lot for what up until now we had seen as just kind of an irascible old, you know, landowner essentially. And, Mm -hmm. and so the story again, getting into, you know, telling and not showing, um, sort of opens those little doors through those conversations. And then all of a sudden, once that happens, then in my mind, and my mind's already because I had assumed through my weird Dolores Claiborne brain bleed that, uh, that he had been abusive towards Jennifer Jason Lee. Mm-hmm. That's when my brain is just like, Oh no, he abused Michelle Pfeiffer. Like that's clearly what she's getting on about. And then sort of the next time we see him, he's a lot, angrier and a lot more sort of terrifying and you see you start seeing him through the eyes of what rose likely sees him as well it's important that the first time that we really see him you see him like uh when jessica lang greets him but of course like she's the one who is uh like erased everything from her mind you know who has buried that trauma into having this like very like kind of veneer like whatever um type of personality but then the first time we really see him is in that like group town setting of this like barbecue where he's beloved by everybody and is greeted uh very like reverentially by everyone else um and it, it's another thing that just makes the Caroline character so frustrating because the first telling signs of the type of person that he actually is and the type of anger that his dementia is unleashing is him casting her out. 
because right. like Caroline tries to show up and then he is like very implacable and like barking at her um to like fully cast her out. Locks um, the door in her face, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the time we get to this fight scene where everyone's kind of bellowing at each other, it feels like it's a lot of bottled up stuff that's finally getting unleashed and mm-hmm. we don't fully know all that's kind of happening and why everybody's getting so heated. And then it's like, as we kind of pick the pieces up throughout and, you know, the revelation about the sexual abuse doesn't come until after then too. And it all makes a lot more sense. But by that point, we don't really see Jason Robards again. Right. We don't, not until the courtroom scene, really, which is the the next time where he's like, he totally doesn't know what's going on. He thinks Mm -hmm. Caroline is dead. Um, But it's the type of, like, performance that we don't really get to understand the character until the performance is over, basically, until the very end courtroom scene. So it's like, that's not the type of thing that usually gets people nominated for performances. No. I'll... Right. I mean, we've seen, I mean, Robert Duvall did get nominated for the judge. So, like, I don't want to, like, totally. Uh, oh, sure. Absolve. Like, we've seen angry patriarchs get nominated for stuff, but. Right. Um, yeah, I don't love the performance, but I don't want to, like, put it on Robards's, you know, dearly departed shoulders either, because I think a lot of the deficiencies were this, were in this, you know, the screenplay of it. And again, don't know how much of that to blame on the novel. Maybe, maybe not. Um, Roger Ebert's review. Ebert did not like this movie. He hit, he wrote, um, he said, this is based on a novel by Jane Smiley, which won the Pulitzer Prize. He said, I haven't read the novel. So either this film is an indictment of the author or the indict, an indictment of the prize, <laughs> which I was just like, oh, okay. I do like, love an to- Ebert burn, but that yeah. one sir be kind <laughs> or no he said grave he, he says either this movie has done a grave disservice to jane smiley or it or uh the pulitzer prize has done a grave disservice to itself or something like that it was just uh right yeah anyway um yeah i think there are there are small moments in this movie that i find very successful i think the scene where pat hingle's character um who is also kind of like, he's not losing his mind, but he's sort of like, uh, not exactly an eccentric. I think he's sort of part of his character is based on the fool from, uh, Lear. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, um, I could be wrong, but I don't, uh, anyway, there's a lot of him just sort of like making a scene. He's making a scene at this sort of like big community potluck dinner or whatever the fuck. Well, he tricks them because he's like, come to this potluck right we, it'll be a show of this is the only thing we really get from the town shunning them and it's right. early yes. he's like come to this it'll be a show of support and it'll show the town that everything is all okay and it'll be good for your father and he like gets them there and immediately shames Calls them, them bitches yeah, yeah exactly yeah and then colin firth who is his son Sort of like, you know, first, sort of the, the move that I loved is Colin Firth from a seated position, like, puts his hand in his face and, like, shoves his face and, like, makes him sit down. And then, like, he, like, hits him, right? Later in that scene? Yes. Yeah. 
Um, and again, there's a lot of backstory in there. In in Lear, that Colin Firth character is the bastard son of uh, of that guy, and so there's a lot of um, you know stuff going on there in terms of like he's trying to prove himself to you know be worthy of yada yada yada. Um, and in this, it's all very kind of vague. He at the beginning of the movie, Colin Firth's character has like just returned from college it's one of those things prodigal son right right but it's like but again it all feels very vague and un and unclear and yet he's like always around and he's also like it ends up he ends up sleeping with jessica lang's character he again in things that we hear about but don't ever see um has also been sleeping with michelle pfeiffer's character after her husband drives his car off into a ditch and dies uh she kind of it seems like she's going to end up with the Colin Firth character. But again, all of this happens off screen. And we find out later that when she got re-diagnosed with cancer, he sort of left and couldn't take it. And it's like, oh, wow. So another character fully experiences revolu- resolution, not in front of the camera. Just like we're hearing about it secondhand. And there's yeah. so much of that in this movie that we hear about secondhand. And it's so strange. Um, and not to the point where it becomes like, choice like i don't think it's necessarily just like it says anything about anything that we're probably just shortcut screenwriting to be honest yes yes i think so too the screenwriter of this movie had worked with jane campion a bunch i believe laura jones Mm -hmm. is her name she's from new zealand she had done the screenplay for uh an angel at my table and the screenplay adaptation of the portrait of a lady uh, both of those with Jane Campion after, well, the same year as A Thousand Acres, she had done, um, oh God, she did the Jocelyn Morehouse, Jillian Armstrong double bill, which is, a, that is, a, should be an Olympic event. Um, <laughs> uh, she does the screenplay for Jillian Armstrong's Oscar and Lucinda, also in 1997. That is, I always, for whatever reason, I always have Jillian Armstrong and Jocelyn Morehouse in the same bucket of like 1990s female directors who like, didn't really. I know Jocelyn Morehouse did direct The Dressmaker in the uh, teens, but like, I feel like their f- careers didn't flourish into the 2000s the way, you know, they could have or maybe even should have. Um, but also uh, relevant to our interests, Laura Jones was one of the credited screenwriters along with Neil LeBute and David Henry Huang uh, on Possession, which we did uh, very recently on our Focus Features miniseries. So she's been kind of hanging around. We're back, back, back again with her. She also did the screenplay adaptation for Angela's Ashes, a film we cannot do on this podcast, unfortunately, because it got a score nomination. Score, John Williams. John Williams' score for Angela's Ashes. But God, talk about another like movie that I know of intimately well because it was a book and it was a very popular <laughs> book when I was working at the public library. The production company... Sorry, did you want to talk at all about uh, Laura Jones? And her nope, screenplay? nope. Yeah, you covered it. The production company thing is interesting for this movie, because if you look at the trailer, I sent you the link to the trailer before this. Polygram. Yes. It is It is shown as a polygram filmed entertainment film, and yet it is not listed as a polygram film on Wikipedia. And I know Wikipedia is not the be-all, end-all. But on the DVD that I own, and the DVD, this DVD was, I believe, a 2013 print. And anyway, the... Uh, the distributor is listed as Touchstone. Mm -hmm. So 
I don't know whether it was one of those, like, when Polygram got sold off to whoever Polygram got sold off to, that, like, the rights to it went hither and yon, and it's now sort of known as a touchdown picture. But Polygram is one of those companies that were very active in the 1990s, and it was one of those that, like, evolved into one of the companies that went into USA Films, which went into Focus Features. You may have heard about that on our several episodes about Focus Features. <laughs> um, but this era of Polygram is interesting. If you look at their... Uh, they had uh, produced... They were one where like they would produce things and then their stuff would be distributed, oftentimes by Gramercy, which was another you know company that went into the amalgam that went into eventually Focus Features. Um, Portrait of a Lady was one of those films. Jude, the uh, the Kate Winslet movie, uh, right? Kate Winslet's in Jude, right? The yes. Winterbottom movie, right before Titanic. Right, right. Based on the uh, Jude uh, the Obscure, Jude the Obscure, the Thomas Hardy uh, novel. Sleepers was. Uh, a polygram movie that was distributed by Warner Brothers. I was that was say, the I thought that was Warner Brothers. It was, but uh, Polygram was a production company on that. Uh, that was the uh, Brad Pitt. Who is it? Brad Pitt, Mini Driver, Jason, Jason Patrick, Patrick uh, Dustin abuse. Hoffman. Right, Kevin Bacon played the uh, the sexually abusive uh, guarded a juvenile hall. I, right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, kind of like proto Mystic River a little bit, uh, sleepers. Um, they did again produced and then distributed by Gramercy. Uh, when we were kings, the nineteen ninety seven documentary about the Muhammad Ali George Foreman fight that mm-hmm. was nominated for an Oscar won right? it won. won the Oscar it won the Oscar. Um, so yeah, nineteen ninety seven, they did the game. David Fincher's The Game with uh, Sean Penn, or, uh, Michael Douglas and Sean Penn. Um, the Matchmaker, the Jeanine Garofalo movie where she's in uh, Ireland. Absolutely. A movie right? that exists in my mind only as a poster. Yes. It exists mostly in my mind because she does a stand-up bit in one of her like late 90s shows where she talks about being in Ireland uh, for this movie that hasn't come out yet. And uh, that was eventually The Matchmaker. Um, Life Less Ordinary, which was a uh, Polygram production that was distributed by Fox. That was the Danny Boyle follow-up to Train Spotting that I saw back in the day, and I keep meaning to rewatch because it looks crazy. And I want <laughs> to refresh movie my memory. Award for Best Dance Sequence nominee. Yes, Cameron Diaz and and uh, and Ewan McGregor. That was the one. I've told the story, right, about Cameron Diaz and Chris Isaac presenting at one of those MTV Movie Awards, and he they're presenting Best Kiss, and he, like, forcibly kisses her, and she's, like, visibly oh. pissed about it. And so the next year, either she says this on stage, the next year she presents with Ewan McGregor because of uh, they're doing a life less ordinary. And she either says it on stage or says it in a backstage interview that I remember watching, where she's like, this year I'm presenting with Ewan McGregor because he's a gentleman. Uh, I just remember that very, very clearly. Um, Fuck you, Chris Isaac. Yeah. And it like it's really colored my like, you know, perceptions of Chris Isaac now over the years. Anyway, um, Polygram eventually sort of, you know, as we said, gets sold and, and its movies sort of move through whatever rights uh, um, labyrinth it goes into. But I don't know if we can put 
a thousand acres uh awards misfortunes on you know insufficient support by a distributor like 24 percent at rotten tomatoes was going to be a tough road to hoe no matter what i can't i mean like that even makes i think the jessica lang nomination surprising at um, the globes yeah yeah especially because it's september and it got that type of response if it was even like november you know it feels like but, a reputation thing it feels very much like jessica lang had won an oscar a few years ago and was really riding on a reputation mm-hmm the Golden yeah. Globes that year are interesting. I want to read you the nominations for Best Actress in a Drama. That was the obviously the um, Titanic year, but it was also As Good As It Gets. Now, Helen Hunt wins the Oscar for As Good As It Gets, but she's obviously in comedy for the Golden Globes that year. So, Best Helen Actress... Helen wins being probably the, at least my last choice of those five in comedy or musical. Um, I love that you support Joey Lauren Adams and Chasing Amy that way, and I adore you for that. Um, My winner would be Pam Greer. Pam Greer, all right, so we'll, all right, let's start with Actress in a Comedy then. Helen Hunt beats out Joey Lauren Adams and Chasing Amy, a film that I continue to think is more fascinating than its reputation these days. Like, it's very easy to be like... I can't imagine I would fully endorse the movie, but even I can remember her being the best thing about it. But I think you don't need to fully endorse the movie to feel like there's interesting stuff going on in that movie, especially, and again, to place that movie in the context of 1997, directed by who it was directed by, Kevin Smith, it's a really interesting look at where the culture was then, and I think it was kind of for where the culture was at that moment, and for the audience that it was directed to, a really interesting film. I will just say that. Um, like, this is a film that talked about intersectionality for, like, a black gay man in that in that film. Like, in 1997, two fucking stoner bros. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying. Um, it's an interesting movie. I Pam Greer. I would say, I, talk to me. Talk to me when you rewatch it. It'll be, I think it'll be a little bit more interesting than you maybe expect. Um, with a lot of cringe thrown in there as well. No lie. All right. Pam Greer and Jackie Brown. Phenomenal. I agree with you. Should have been Oscar nominated. Um, should have gotten the comeback story that John Travolta got out of Pulp Fiction. Anyway. Jennifer Lopez for Selena. Uh, big, obviously, breakthrough. Makes her a superstar. And rightly so. And then Julia Roberts in My Best Friend's Wedding, which one of the great Julia Roberts performances. I will stand by that. I think so she's glad that she was actually so nominated for that performance too, uh-huh. because like the line at that time in 1997 for that movie was that that character was a monster. Yeah, and uh, yeah, not seen quite so positively. Well, to the as point where, now. well, and it's one of those things where. I think an audience's ungenerous perception of a character accidentally helped make a movie better because, of course, the original film, um, I believe the original version of that film had a happier ending for Mm -hmm. Jules, and the audience was so adamant that she not get uh, any kind of uh, optimistic love outlook at the end of that movie. Like, the movie really wanted her to end up alone. And so the the audience, the test audience did. And so what they ended up doing with is the ending that we get, which is she ends up alone and dealing with it and then having this like moment of really sweet, you know, uh, Rupert Everett comes back and 
you know, has a dance with her. And it's this really great little note of just like, yeah, there might not be romance at every juncture of your life, but we will at least be able to have this fabulous dance together with your lovely friend who is there for you. And, um, I don't know. Maybe I just thought uh, it'd be a little bit better than you were yesterday. Exactly. It's a wonderful ending. It's a wonderful ending for, for that film. But anyway, yes, Helen Hunt wins. I, have come back around. I think I sort of fell in with everybody who, you know, kind of slighted that Helen Hunt uh, performance as... I think she's fine. I think she's good. I think she's better than I, for a while, uh, was willing to give her credit for. Nicholson, of course, also wins for As Good As It Gets, and that's the one where he... That was the Golden Globes where, among other things, Christine Lottie was in the toilet when uh, <laughs> when she won for Chicago Hope, and... Uh, Robin Williams had to come up to the stage and vamp for her for a while. And um, so Nicholson wins for as good as it gets, and he gets up there. And oh, and that was also the the Golden Globes where Ving Rames tearfully uh, insisted that Jack Lemon get up on the stage and accept the Golden Globe that Ving had just won. And literally was like, to the point where just like, there's one where it's just like, I want to honor Jack Lemon. He's a great actor. And Jack Lemon is being very, very sort of abashed by the whole thing. But Ving Rames would not back down until Jack Lemon like took the award in his hands and like gave a speech and Jack Lemon it's so funny he gets up and he's just like this is the craziest damn thing I've ever seen and like I don't even know what to say and like he's like should I give a speech is this weird like and he starts to and then he's like this is too weird I gotta go and <laughs> it's just a very funny As moment if, I mean like Jack Lemon one of the greatest to ever do it uh legend icon uh, he he had the trophies he already had well the, that the that's the thing and that's sort of trophies. what he was saying and he was just like he's just like ving have your moment but ving rames was like absolutely adamant that that jack lemon take this trophy from him it's so funny so all of this has happened and nicholson gets up to accept his award for as good as it gets later and he goes this is the this is the weirdest night ever. He said, we got people in the toilet. We got people giving their awards away. And then he references Jim Carrey, who had been nominated opposite him for Liar Liar in that category. And he goes, I guess given my competition this year, I should. And then he turns around and does the talking out of his butt thing, like Ace Ventura. <laughs> it's, again, Jack Nicholson, you know, ups and downs and say what you will but like that man knows how to give an award show moment and it's so god i thought that was so funny um anyway we want to talk about best actress in a drama because that's where jessica lang is nominated four thousand acres judy dench is the one who wins that was the big judy dench comes to america and is like our new british uh, thespian uh wins for mrs brown for playing queen victoria and mrs brown the mrs Opposite... brown like build up because obviously she doesn't win she probably was second place even she was second Kate place and, and even in helen hunt's oscar speech she says she's like mrs brown's one of the best performances i've ever seen like you know she essentially is just like you deserve this award um yeah i Absolutely think she has uh because sometimes people are like, how did she win for Shakespeare in Love for five minutes? Well, she almost It was because of Mrs. Brown. Year. Yes, that's the, yes, that was a big reason. Um, other nominees in Actress in a Drama were uh, eventual Oscar nominees, Kate Winslet in Titanic, uh, which was always going to happen because A, Titanic was massive, and also Kate Winslet rules in Titanic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, although there was a lot of, at the time, people were quibbling about the accent, people were quibbling about whether we should be nominating actors from this movie because like the 
the story is the the effects and the visuals and the ship and whatever and everybody hated no, the dialogue. In that movie. Shut no, up. she rules in that movie. Um, and then Helena Bonham Carter in the Wings of the Dove, who might have been my winner that year of those it. nominees. She's great. She's really fantastic. And that was another sort of breakthrough for her. She had been in, obviously, movies. She had been in A Room with a View and Howard's End and whatever. And But this was like Helena Bonham Carter, lead actress, in like kind of a rad role. Like she's kind of, you know, take no prisoners in The Wings of the Dove in a pretty cool way. And then the fifth nominee was perhaps my favorite, and I'm so glad it happened, is Jodie Foster in Contact, who was probably lingering around the like top nine actresses in contention that year i would say contact was like was not a the the reception for contact i think took a while for people to warm up to that movie and i mean years i feel like for people to like fully warm up to that movie um because it doesn't do exactly what you think it's going to do as yeah it pissed people off because there was no actual aliens in it Right. And it's not a space, like, it's not a space movie like you think a space movie is going to be. And it really kind of sold itself um, as a space movie. It is all the better for what it actually is, um, which is a character study of a determined lesbian who is misguidedly romantically involved with a priest for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Contact, again, rules. Jodie Foster rules. So, yeah, Jessica Lange is kind of the uh, uh, odd man out in that category, I think. Yeah, because, like, the rest of those movies were movies that were, even if Contact was just for just so for Jodie Foster, really, like, those are movies that were actually still in the conversation. And at this point, A Thousand Acres would have died. And, like, even if it was Pfeiffer instead of Lange, it would, I mean... It would have been weird, especially because Julie Christie, who ends up being Oscar nominated that year, wasn't a Globe nominee at all for Afterglow. Uh, Emily Watson and The Boxer. Now, you wouldn't think, oh, why would it have been Emily Watson and The Boxer? Well, The Boxer was a Best Picture Drama nominee at the Globes that year. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Day-Lewis was nominated. So, like, it's kind of interesting that Emily Watson wasn't also nominated if they liked it so much. Um and I'm trying to think of any other, like, major contenders, but, like, even just those two, like, it's surprising that neither one of them were nominated and Jessica Lang was for this movie that critics thoroughly hated, and it was already months, months, months old by then. So, yeah, it's a weird one. Oh, also, Joan Allen in The Ice Storm was right there. That was the, Glo- the Globes nominated Sigourney Weaver and Supporting Actress. So, like, you know... She was definitely that movie was definitely on their radar, and Joan Allen is so good in the Ice Storm. So, like, there were definitely a lot of areas, a lot of directions that that nomination could have gone instead of Jessica Lange. It really is just like you mentioned earlier, this like kind of carryover of, and it's like it's probably also one of those globes gonna globes thing where sure, it's like yeah. she was just one of their favorites. Um, and again, we say Globe's gonna Globe, but again, the Globe's give and the Globe's take. Because, like, getting Pam Greer and Jennifer Lopez and, you know, Joey Lauren Adams nominations, like, I'm glad for all of those things. You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you know, you take the good, you take the bad. It's very facts of life uh, with them. Who would be your best actress winner of the year? Oh, of everybody? Yes. I'm gonna ask you for a moment while I bring up my spreadsheet and by spreadsheet i mean word document that should probably be converted to a spreadsheet at some point but who has the time um give me a second who would yours be while while, while i uh, bring that up 
Uh, mine it would be Pam Greer. Pam Greer for Jackie Brown. I mean, it's a great performance. It's a really She's great amazing. performance in a great movie. It's amazing. I like. I remember seeing that movie in a in the theater as a child. Don't know why my grandmother and father took me to see it, but they did. Um, and like fully not understanding what that movie is, and then watching it as an adult, it's like that is like Tarantino's best movie. She's amazing. She's really um, fantastic. Yeah. It's interesting that Samuel L. Jackson was also nominated in Best Actor in a comedy. Um, not that he's not good in that movie, but like anytime I'm sort of told that like he's the co-lead of that movie, I'm like, I guess technically, but like that so very much is Pam Greer's movie for me mm-hmm. that um I don't know, it's always a little puzzling when I'm just like, Yeah, I guess like Samuel L. Jackson is, you know. I mean, they probably did lot. campaign him in lead because then it was they easier did. to campaign Forster in supporting. All right. My five nominees. The four, uh, I'll read from my fifth place. Do I stick by this? I think I stick by this. Number five, Julia Roberts in My Best Friend's Wedding. Number four, Parker Posey in The House of Yes. Number three, uh, Kate Winslet in Titanic. She rules. Number two, Helena Bonham Carter in The Wings of the Dove. And guess what, Chris? We agree. Pam Greer is my number one for Jackie Brown. Absolutely. I don't know if that, I feel like that's rare for us that we agree on like absolute number ones. I think, right, right, uh, right, 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 especially right. as it gets older. So I'm going to celebrate that. Yeah. I also had on that list, uh, obviously, Jodie Foster, Joan Allen, aforementioned, Helen Hunt, aforementioned. Um, and then I have still never seen Mrs. Brown. So that's a thing that I need to correct in my, uh, in my history. Well, anyway, fantastic. Uh, what else, what else other straggling, uh, uh, notes about a thousand acres? Who we haven't, we talked, I mean, we talked a little bit about the Jennifer Jason Lee era, um, of this moment where it very much was, you know, is she the best actress who's never been nominated for an Oscar? of her sort of era of her moment. And the fact that it wouldn't happen for another almost 20 years from this point is for that movie. I know for that movie, for the hateful eight, which I, I just, I will always be a little resentful that that's her only Oscar nomination. We could have found a way to swap it out for annihilation a few years later. Right? Like we could have at least just done just for the line reading. Just for the line reading. Um, I want to sort of, as I am, have you seen there's another new IMDb redesign that they've done that looks. It's awful. Horrifying and like, Im, like impenetrable. Anyway. It, it's not like redesigning the USA things. Today of the internet. It is so ugly. I get why certain websites are always redesigning because aesthetics are important and whatever. But like, if you are a website where your main purpose is, um, research and utility stop fucking constantly changing where everything is on your page it's so counterproductive to what your website is for Ugh. Anyway. anyway um her only other 1997 movie was a henry james adaptation it was agnieszka holland's uh washington square is that how we pronounce agnieszka holland's is there a i do believe so all right um jennifer jason lee Albert Finney, Maggie Smith, Ben Chaplin, Judith Ivey, Jennifer Garner's in that movie. I've never seen uh, Washington Square. Um, I should actually, if it's uh, if it's that that talent involved. Um, you know, costume drama, very you know, 
Age of Innocence, Henry James, this kind of a thing. Uh, that was her only 1997 movie. And then this sort of feels like towards the end of, not to say like the Jennifer Jason Lee Oscar experiment, but like kind of, where like this was the tail end of we're going to see if Jennifer Jason Lee is going to get an Oscar nomination from something. Because there were so many. Not mm-hmm. only, we mentioned Mrs. Parker and Georgia. Like, there is definitely a world where both she and Kathy Bates get nominated for Dolores Claiborne. Though both of those performances are really great. I still think she's Oscar-worthy in The Hudsucker Proxy. I know that's something of a divisive performance because she's so big and doing so much, uh, you know, pastiche kind of a thing. But, like, I think she's irresistible in that movie. I think she's so funny. I have to um, see the Hudsucker Proxy. It's an odd little movie as far as Cohen's movies goes, but like I really enjoy watching it. Um, but like she had gotten a bunch of recognition for movies like Last Exit to Brooklyn and Miami mm-hmm. Blues. Like the entirety of the 1990s was Jennifer Jason Lee just giving like critically acclaimed performance after critically acclaimed performance. And then after A Thousand Acres, she's really not in a movie for another couple of years and she surfaces with Existence, she a movie that theater. I love. Right, right. I just mean in, in, in film, of course. Yeah. Um, Existence, a movie that I love, but like David Cronenberg's Existence is never gonna, was never going to be an Oscar play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no matter how good uh, it was, no matter how likely of David Cronenberg, uh, Oscar nominated movies in his oeuvre. Uh, Where did we come existence. down on Existence as far as horny versus gross? Is it both? I think I definitely think it's both. It is totally it's a definitely butt sex horny. metaphor. It's definitely horny, like for sure. Uh, I just think that movie, like, kind of looks like crap. I'm like, no one was giving David money at this time to make a movie right. after Crash, um, and you can tell. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like Existence. Jennifer Jason Lee throughout the, the aughts is an interesting mixture of, like, really small movies or really challenging movies interspersed with sort of thankless parts in bigger movies where it's like, it's either the anniversary party, which she co-directed with uh, Alan Cumming. Right. Wild movie. Gwyneth Paltrow plays herself. (laughs) It's a really good movie. Like I really enjoyed it. Um, And, but yeah, uh, worth watching, but again, was never really going to be a thing. She's in road to perdition. She's the wife who gets killed at the beginning of road to perdition. So like very, Mm -hmm. very thankless role. We've talked about in the cut, she rules, probably deserved, you know, Oscar attention for that. But again, In the Cut was never going to make it like that. Like, it was so, you know, so, so challenging. And then she's in stuff like The Machinist and The Jacket and um, Palindromes. Which she does these recently, weird, right? she'll take these roles that are so thankless and, like, they're extra frustrating because we want the world for Jennifer Jason Lee, but she's, like, the woman in some of these movies. Yeah. Like, good time. Right. Right. But then she'll show up and she'll give you an In the Cut. She'll give you a Margot at the wedding. She'll give you, um, I'm trying to think of, like, other ones where it's just like, I mean, again, I bring up, uh, Annihilation. I think she's really, you know, she's really interesting in uh, in that movie. But yeah, it's a lot of stuff like Good Time. It's a lot of stuff like, you know, she's she'll show up in Kill Your Darlings in something really small. She'll show up in, uh, uh, as I she's said, she's in a lot of movies that unfortunately you don't remember she's even in them. 
Yeah. You've seen Palindromes recently. Is she a big part of that movie? Is anybody a big part of it? Oh, boy. Palindromes. Um, Okay, so Palindromes, Todd Todd Salons is Palindromes, yeah. Todd Salons is on one, even for Todd Salons in that movie. (laughs) Um, And that movie's his biggest failure. But um, the the lead character, who is uh, a young girl, is played by something like 10 different performers including jennifer jason lee yeah interesting and it's not how, like the character ages he just how is re- she in it recasting. is she in it much is she like in it very she's briefly? in it towards the end yeah she's sort of fine. like her in synecdoche where it's just like she's not in it a lot but like it's only because there's a billion people in this movie she is amazing in synecdoche and when she like returns and has a completely different accent <laughs> where she's like you know playing that type of person who like Goes and lives in Berlin for six months. She's and the then daughter. The affectation. She's his daughter. His no, grown up daughter. No. She is his daughter's like. Um, she's the friend of Catherine Keener, who eventually enters into a relationship with the daughter. With the daughter, right? Yeah, right. I gotta watch that movie again. That movie made me so sad, um, and it will make me even more sad now uh, watching it after Philip Seymour Hoffman's death. I should also say, for as much uh, for um, I love her in Annihilation. She plays a very kind of similar role in Possessor. She's not in it as much, but um, I appreciated that. And then, of course, this year, um, she's in The Woman in the Window. Of course, uh, she's um, Jane Russell. She's 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 Jane Russell. Uh, wish she had been given more to do in that. She's honestly she is in terms of a screen time percentage is a much bigger presence in the trailer. Like I feel like I like fully like death dropped when she shows up in the trailer because it's just like <laughs> what's going on. Um, and then I've you know talked about uh, how bummed I am at uh, at Lisi's story, which is too bad. Um, she's supposedly in the next Lena Dunham movie. Oh boy. Called Sharp Stick. Her and John Bernthal and Taylor Page and Scott Speedman. It's an interesting cast. Uh, Taylor Page, who is currently uh, tearing shit up. uh, Uh, Giving what I think is so far the performance of the year. Fantastic. I can't wait to watch it, perhaps this weekend. Um, All right. So, anything else we want to talk about with regards to 1000 Acres before we move on to. Got yeah, through most it. of the stuff in my notes. We didn't talk about most of the men because why would you? But I did have a note that Kevin Anderson as Rose's scummy husband looks like if Don Henley had a line of Chia pets. <laughs> Kevin Anderson is the hairiest man. He's There's a lot of hair going on. It's just like, yes, there's a lot of hair uh, on his head, on his face, probably all over his body. Yes. Um, what do I know him from? Uh, a bunch of stuff. I think he's. Let me, he yeah, like a he's TV a Steppenwolf guy, right? guy. Oh, he's a Steppenwolf guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. so he's like everywhere. All right. Yeah, I mean, my notes are basically. I did I, to this movie's credit. I watched this movie without being super distracted, which is you know not always an easy feat, even for a good movie. So um, I mostly a long just movie. It's, I mostly it, just jotted down that line about we're gonna die angry and uh, and Jessica Lange's Republican hair. It's it's such a good line. I wish that that was the energy and the vibe Me of too. the movie. Me too. Alrighty, do we want to do to move on to the IMDb game? 
You know what? Let's move on to the IMDb game. You guys, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we'll get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints filling all thousand of these acres. (laughs) Very good. All right, Chris, I'm going to give you the option of either guessing first or giving first. How about I give first? All right. Not to get us too far into the weeds, but we didn't talk about supporting actress in this awards season, which, like, Jennifer Jason Lee probably didn't factor into that. But anyway, notably... This year's Best Supporting Actress winner is none other than Kim Basinger. Interesting. And we've not done Kim Basinger before, huh? We have not. All right. Okay. Kim Basinger. Obviously, LA Confidential is one of them. It is. All right. Now, where in her illustrious career do we travel? Batman. The first Batman. Batman. I was kind okay. of bracing as I like clicked on her page for Batman to not be there, but indeed, Batman is there. Yeah, it wouldn't have shocked me if it wasn't there, but I think it's good that it is there. It should be there. The iconic uh, Vicky Vale. I'm going to take a little bit of a stab here and guess 8 Mile. No, no 8 Mile. Thank God. She is not good in 8 Mile. She is quite not good in 8 yeah. Mile. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. Um... Nine and a half weeks? No, not nine and a half weeks. So you're going to get your years. Your years are 2004 and 1993. Oh, the door and the floor. No. No, damn it. <laughs> damn it. I thought as soon as you said 2004, I was like, good for her. Good for She them. is good in the door She's and the She's very floor. good in the door and the floor. All right. So what else did she make in the door and the floor? Is, the, is 2004 I Dreamed of Africa? Or is that to... Uh... No. I Dreamed of Africa is 2000. Is 2004 The Burning Plane? It is not The Burning Plane. That is 2008. Jennifer Lawrence debut uh, right. film. All right. What's the other year? I'm going to put a pin in 04. Uh, 1993. 1993 is the year before Predaporte, I'm pretty sure. She is incredible in pret porte <laughs> You will always guess her first categories because of Pret-a-Porte. Um, mm-hmm. 93, The Getaway? No. Uh, 1993, I will say, is probably the hardest thing to get on here, but it is the coolest uh, thing on here. But not, um, it but is not Cool World, because that was 90. It's not Cool World. Two. That would not be the coolest thing on here. <laughs> cool World is a movie where Gabriel Byrne fucks an animated uh, Kim Basinger into corporal reality. And also, like, isn't the whole thing that, like, he, like, drew her? Didn't he, like, create? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, like... He's sort of fucking his, like, cartoon daughter a little bit. Yeah. Yes. And in order to make her a real person, they have to have sex. I'll say this, though. Brad Pitt's stupid fucking hot in that movie. Like, is the thing. All right. Uh, 1993 is a sequel, though. Oh. Oh, God. It's Wayne's World 2. It's Wayne's World 2. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that the one where she goes garth can i be frank and he goes okay can i still be garth 
2004 was actually a hit movie and she is first build in it hit movie first build but there's like the next two build stars who are both men are like huge stars right now oh they weren't them no they are they younger than her uh, one of them definitely is. I don't know about the other one, but we'll say probably. Okay. They weren't stars in 2004. They weren't huge stars in 2004, but they are now. The one who's like the huge, huge star is like when he blew up in the franchise that he is known for. People were like, you know what movie he's really good in? This. Oh, fuck. Is it a Hugh Jackman? No. But he blew up in a franchise. Both of these guys are action stars. The other one, not the one I was talking about, is like the type of action star who all of their movies are basically indistinguishable from each other. And when people go, they go to just see him in a movie. Statham. Yes. Oh, okay. Kim Basinger, Jason Statham. And then this other person is the one where people are always talking about that this is the this is his good movie. I mean, not always, but like when he blew up playing the character he's play- famous for playing, they were like, you know what, he's good in Fuck. this movie. The title is almost a punchline. This is probably not a movie that would be made after like literally two thousand four. It's not Robert Downey Jr. No, but you're close. It is someone in the MCU. Someone in the MCU. An Avenger? Yes. Chris Evans. Oh, Cellular? It is Cellular. Jason Statham is in Cellular. I didn't know that. Jason Statham is the top face on the poster to Cellular. No kidding. I've never seen it. Who directed Cellular? Um, Anyone? David R. Ellis. No. No idea. Interesting that that is one of her known for. All right, good then. She's that's a really build. that's an eclectic uh, that's an eclectic group of films. All right, good for you, Kim Basinger. All right, Chris, for you, I as I so often do went down the path of the director. In this case, our our beloved Jocelyn Morehouse, who, as I mentioned, we did uh, How to Make an American Quilt in one of our earlier episodes. She's all only directed a small handful of movies. Uh, after A Thousand Acres, she went away for quite a while uh, and then came back in uh, 2015 with a film. I don't know if it was even released in 2015. It might have come out. Stateside. I, you're talking The Dressmaker, right? I am talking about The Dressmaker, a film that I have not seen. 2016 Stateside. But um, my friend Kate Arthur at the Toronto Film Festival described the plot of this film to me. And I uh, had I been wearing a wig... Republican or otherwise, it would have been on the floor. It would have flown off of my body. Okay, anyway. We should do this movie. It's We fun. definitely should. Kate Winslet is in it. Liam Hemsworth is in it. But the person that I am going to give you to guess is uh, two-time, I believe, Oscar nominee Judy Davis. Oh, Judy Davis. I Judy thought, who's the young actress Davis. in that movie? That's who I thought you were going to... I think Kate Winslet is the young actress in that movie. No, there's. I think there's like a Mar, not Margot Robbie. 
Hold on. But like a Margot Robbie. Uh, Carrie Fox is in that movie. Um, I think the young person in that movie is Liam Hemsworth. Like, I think that's sort of the 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 gag there. Yeah, but there's a there's there's someone like that in that movie. Well, we will have to do it on this. We'll podcast, have to find out when we want yeah. when we uh, do this movie. Yes. All right. Um, okay. But Judy Davis is yours. There is no television. What? And no voice performance. Sorry, Betty versus Joan. Sorry, Judy Garland. Me and my no, shadows. the Judy Garland happening. one. That's home. I love how when Meryl Streep wins, worst. when Meryl Streep wins her Emmy Award for Angels in America, one she of calls her it just the Judy Davis story. She, she calls it the Judy Garland story. Um, but because she was nominated against Judy Davis for something that wasn't that, that was something right. Else, and Judy like, Davis does a ton of TV. Yeah. Um, but not in this case. Not in the IMDb's. Okay. Uh, there's got to be some Woody Allen in there. Probably Husbands and Wives, because she almost won. Yes, Husbands and Wives. She was kind okay. of the front runner for the Oscar that Marissa Tomei won that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was also the one where Jack Palance is uh, reading the nominees and his little banter in front. He says this is the first ever time that all five nominees for Best Supporting Actress are not American or no, he says our, our, our foreign actress are from foreign countries. Uh, he says four of them are from England and one is from Brooklyn. And that's the gag. It's like, ha ha ha. She's from Brooklyn. <laughs> but of course, Judy Davis is not from England. Judy Davis is Australian. And you can see her face in the reaction shot to that joke where he's just like, no, I'm not. It's so <laughs> funny. Um, and then she goes and loses. Oh, the indignity. Oh, the indignity to Judy Davis. All right. Yes. Husbands and wives. is one of them. Um, the ref. No, even though it's her best performance. Damn, and justice rules. for the ref. She fucking rules in that movie. Great uh, uh, off-kilter Christmas movie. If you're ever in a mood to watch a Christmas movie that doesn't feel like the normal Christmas fair, watch The Ref. It is very funny. <laughs> Glynis Johns plays a... And I know Kevin Spacey's in it, God, whatever, grain of salt. But, like, Glynis Johns plays the, like, most horrid, like, mother character uh, ever. Christine Baranski's also in it. There's a lot of sugar to make the Kevin Spacey pill go down in that uh, in that film, so you're fine. Interesting. Anyway, not The Ref. Okay, I, I'm a little thrown by no TV. Um, yeah, maybe it's another. Mm. I don't think Naked Lunch is in there. That's like a kind of a forgotten Cronenberg movie, though she did get like. I think she won like critics' prizes for that and. Husbands and Wives, maybe? No, she... Nope, this is in there. She won Critics' Prizes for Naked Lunch and Barton Fink. Barton Fink has to be in there. Barton Fink is indeed yeah. in there. Very good. Good recall. Um, yeah, what were her... Oh, Barton a Best Fink? Picture winner, Passage to India. No, that's her other Oscar nomination, by the way, is A Passage to India. She was nominated for Best Actress, but that is not one of her known for. I will give you the years as soon as I look up and see. Yes, she was the New York Film Critics Circle Award winner for uh, both Barton Fink and Naked Lunch, as you said, uh, for the year 1991. And that was her big one. Yes. Sorry. Anyway, your years for your missing two films are 2015 and 1991. So I feel like this is over. <laughs> so it's Naked Lunch. It is Naked and Lunch. And The Dressmaker. 
And the dressmaker. Well, I didn't, I guess exactly. The dressmaker. I would. She's have. a lot of fun in the dressmaker. I would not. Oh, so you have seen the dressmaker? Oh yeah, it's a fun movie. Okay, um, we should definitely do it soon. Yeah, uh, I don't think I would have guessed her uh, for IMDb game for the dressmaker, even though that was my portal into this. Um, I just feel like nobody really talks about that movie or talks about her in that movie. I would have guessed probably Miller's. She's in Miller's Crossing, or is that one the one that she's Miller's very briefly? Crossing. Yeah, I think. Because obviously Marsha Gay Harden in that there. one because she was nominated for that, right? No, Maybe she was nominated for Mississippi Burning. Eh? Yeah, no, Judy Davis is not in Millage Crossing. I was probably maybe just thinking of Barton Fink. But she rules in, like, Marie Antoinette, you know? Oh, She's yeah. She's really fantastic in that. Um, What else is she in? Obviously, like, other Woody Allen movies, Deconstructing Harry being one of them. Um. Yeah, you're right. A lot of television, though. She was in the TV movie that I always bring up, which uh, she played Lillian Hellman in Dash and Lily, the, I believe, Showtime TV movie with uh, her and Sam Shepard playing Lillian Hellman and Dashiell Hammett, directed by Kathy Bates. And I always remember it just because it was like a Golden Globe nominee. And like when I watch old Golden Globe clips, it'll be like Judy Davis for Dash and Lily. But also there's a Netflix show now, the teen drama called Dash and Lily. And I'm the only person who was like, oh, like Judy Davis and Sam Shepard and like crickets, (laughs) just full (laughs) crickets whenever I pull out that line. They don't appreciate the genius of that reference. Fine. Um, anyway, good job. Good job with, uh, with that IMDb game. Fantastic. I think that's it. I think that's all for this episode. If you want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. I will say, I don't say it enough and I should. Chris's work in, uh, doling out teases at the beginning of every month to what four movies we're going to be doing in a month have gotten progressively uh, more and more unhinged in a way that so I find... So far, July is like the least correctly guessed. You have stumped... I don't know whether it's... We've got a like, majority gay audience and everybody like prided themselves into a serotonin coma or something, but like truly, uh, nobody knows which way is up with those hints, and I love it that way. Also, if you know what they are, like I, you, I just laugh my ass off every time you put them up because I'm just like, this is fully insane, and I love it. Um, <laughs> it's fun to play along with. We have, we have, we have our fun. Uh, it had under, had underscore Oscar underscore bus. All right. Anyway, Chris. Besides manning our uh, our podcast Twitter account, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That is F-E-I-L. Yes, you can. I am also on Twitter. I am there at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd, spelled the exact same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Boo, Apple Podcasts. Um, whatever. Fixing the hand of Steve. Not like, fix it, Steve. Now it's fix it, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> fix, fix it, bitch. <laughs> Duct tape. Oh my god! Please mash those up for me. Fix it, Steve. Fix it, bitch. Fix it, or I quit. How about that? I quit, and you never see me again. How about that? All right, I will try. Uh, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So sign over to us any farm property you have and also write us a nice review, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more about.